Section 25 of The Desirable Alien at Home in Germany by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Take Us the Little Foxes, Part 2. A little later in the afternoon, we were landed on the working bank and started to walk back a long way to Herr Kramp's vineyard. We went in Indian file, the river just below us, and the vineyards precipitously ascending at our sides. Herr Kramp Senior, with his paunch, waddled swiftly. The last of the file of us, we had a couple of miles to go, and I felt some pangs of consideration for his eighty years, over the path that, slippery and narrow, climbed now to the shale of the vineyards, and then plunged down amid blackberry thickets, down to the very water-smoothed marble boulders of the stream-bed itself. But I soon left off pitying him, or deprecating the length of the excursion on his behalf, because it was quite easy to tell that of all the four of us, he it was who most thoroughly enjoyed it. He was having the time of his life, and they were not his own vines or even his son's. Shouting, singing, yodelling, throwing out expletives, the old man blundered along, ravishing huge bunches of Himmelschöner Trauben from the vine stocks as he passed one estate after the other. He offered them to us, broadcast, for his son was a very great vine handler in that part of the country, and we were all privileged persons. There is no paling, no apparent division, no fence between the properties. You have but to stretch out your hand to help yourself. Yet Joseph Leopold says there is no stealing. It would not be patriotic, and it would not be worth while. As a matter of fact, between one allotment and another there is usually, by way of a term or landmark, an iron pole set up. On this there will be an enamelled label, and on these labels you may read the mighty names of the Gebrüder Deinhardt, or the Kernischer Domäne, or the names of the smallest peasants. All that day I was eating grapes. In one day I ate more grapes than I had ever eaten in my life not excepting the time when I had scarlet fever and lost my taste for the things that swell to enormous purple tastelessness in English hothouses forevermore. From the hands of all four of us depended continuously bunches of grapes. Grapes quenched our thirsts. Grapes ballasted us on the rocky marble pinnacles beside the shallows. The juice of grapes streamed from our mouths and with that same juice were our hands wet. As fast as we had partaken of the produce of one vineyard, we were invited to test another's. It was what one might call a grape crawl. And I wondered if the hardened sinners, male and female in England, slouching drearily past one public house after another in rain and mud and sleet, would not have enjoyed the harmless variety of the unintelligent pursuit as much as the gin crawl? Perhaps not. 
perhaps the male sot and female drudge would have replied like the sated duchesse de longueville que voulez-vous que je vous dise je n'aime pas les plaisirs innocents glorious splendid praise the lord the fine old german gentleman behind me muttered polishing off one bunch after another stripping round globe after round globe off from its stalk as he walked along and from time to time indeed he burst into a shout at the sight of a laden tree such a real shout and roar of praise that i thought at first not knowing his dialect very well that he was enraged at the misdeeds rather than overjoyed at the good fortune of his neighbours and all the while we were stripping the round globes from the wet stalks i should not have dared for a moment to drop to the ground the fleshy envelope of the god of herr kramp's adoration and there was no need to do so the skins were quite soft and no hand but my own had ever touched them and old Herr Kramp's pen was one of the most gratifying and spiritually beautiful workings of the mind that I have ever witnessed. To hear him break forth into jubilation and thanksgiving, to see him craning up, stretching his troublesome stomach longitudinally as he raised his short arms, prolonged by a forked stick, to pull down into his purview the boughs of fruit-bearing trees that fringed the vineyards, and became more common as we approached the villages all these things the ejaculations smiles roars of joyful laughter the whole being of the man stretched to express satisfaction and gratitude all these things seemed to be an essay in pure thanksgiving as one might make essays in the art of pure music or pure art for the sake of the art all these things seemed since none of the fruit trees were his nor the vines to render more pleasant and more good that great green landscape that lay beneath a sky like a jewel and a sun that hung breathless and motionless as if it gazed with wonder upon its own work it was pure religion a simple piety for although just now the vine was the thing and the sky was actually grey he could take an interest in all the other kindly fruits of the earth and the other harvests of this remarkable year that seemed for so long to have lain beneath the sky and that sun that it was difficult to gaze upon them in the greyness and forget that of which they were the real expression so that it seemed that the fruits themselves radiated a tranquil sunshine and apples plums and pears the reddest the purplest i have ever seen except the shiny produce of the dominion of canada that one sees behind plate glass at the top of whitehall and that seem monstrous and unreal as if they had been fabricated out of waxes and soaps plums and pears showed me their blushing beauties one after the other as the boughs that bore them were pulled down for a moment and allowed to fly back again by the enthusiastic old fellow and now I know the meaning of that verse of the English litany that I had so often heard droned out without unction or emotion in numberless village churches in poor, rain-sodden, caprice-ridden England. 
I am alluding to the caprice of the elements, wrought on an unfortunate island of which no spot on an average is farther away from the sea than eighty miles, an island swept continually by the sea-fret and dominated by the mountain gloom. The kindly fruits of the earth, so that in due time we may enjoy them. The irony of it. How not admire the proud patience that finds in Shakespeare's lines a precious stone set in a silver sea, a panacea for tariff bills and a climate that has no equal for contrariness. In Germany, too, there are elemental reverses, but they are not normal. The vine crop may be ruined by the rain in one dismal year like 1910, but a good year, coming once in seven, will restore the balance. And 1911 was more than a good year, it was a superb year. The cultivation of the vine depends more than any other avocation on the personal care bestowed on it. The personal care of a perspicacious and experienced cultivator. It is an expensive business to begin with. Good plants and planting will cost anything up to forty pounds an acre, and then, given a fairly decent soil, the growth must be nursed and tended like a baby for six or seven years before it will show signs of bearing a paying crop. It must be heavily manured, and the manure, and everything, must be carried as a rule on men's backs. There is no other way. In some cases the plot lies so steeply as to be almost perpendicular, and always the ground is so covered with shale and loose rock that the cultivator has difficulty even in keeping his foothold. Even the very soil has often to be carried up, literally, in hodsful, much in the same way, or so we were told at our mother's knee, the bare volcanic rock of Malta was prepared for human cultivation. As the caddy at golf places a little heap of sand for the ball to rest on, so the soil has been laid, and here and there the absolutely unplantable crests and peaks of basalt jut out from the mat of green that seems to mount them knee-high. Some of these peaks have been cleverly blasted into terraces, banked up as it were by a naked wall of rock that shines out white as milk. The surface has been whitewashed in order to reflect the maximum of light and heat for the vines. The sun, the poetry and life of the vine above, and below, the manure, the prose. Manure, well, though there is not much that is creditable about it, yet there is a great deal that is macabre and grotesque. For the vine is said to prefer some very strange varieties of composts. Leather is favoured by the capricious plant. An old pair of boots is very sovereign. And if you want the vine at your door to flourish and attain unto the very roof tree, you had better ensure its growth by first laying down an old leather portmanteau before you plant it. One is driven to think of an older and more savage form of what may be, after all, a mere superstition, though Joseph Leopold swears that it is a chemical fact. 
did ever the body of a young child fructify a vineyard in the olden days or at best the unconsidered body of a captive or a slave and back go one's thoughts to the legend of dionysius and the sacrificial knife seems to be flourished over the dark soil when springs the dark twisted stock nay further back to the first feast of the passover when the lintels of the doors were washed in blood in england to-day you may hear the echo of the savage notion in the chant of the hordes of the regenerate as they roam through quiet country villages on the sabbath day washed in the blood of the lamb the officers of the salvation army like the priests of old do not probably suffer from too much imagination as all unconscious of the terrible traditional force of the words they shout their terrible refrain for an hour or so and then go in to their well-earned teas and to be sure the family cramp did not think of these things as we walked indian file along the narrow path weltering vineyards upon the one hand and the calm mosel on the other the son's little button mouth was pinched in calculation the father's toothless one was roaring out te deum laudamus the carts with wine presses ready poised in them stood about waiting for their loads the brimming hods full that peasants were all the while carrying to them down the steep hillsides when the bearers had descended to the carts they climbed up short ladders and upset the hods into the wine presses very much as the english dustman empties refuse into the barrack cart with an oof of relief for hours they had come stumbling down the narrow tracks which were all the space the owners of the vineyards had been able to spare for transport on these channel beds like mere watercourses where torrential rains seemed only yesterday to have rushed down there lay enough loose stones to make a careless step dangerous to men burdened as these porters were with enormous receptacles filled by the women pickers-up among the vines they are shaped like a dustman's basket and strapped onto the back of the porter they are sometimes made of osier work or leather but most often of a green painted metal which has the effect of making the grape carriers appear like shard beetles or men in armour some of them emptied their hods into the carts the rest went straight down to the ferry boats which were waiting to take them and their burdens just as they stood to the village on the other side when half a score men backed by their hods packed into the boat they were nearly lost to sight behind the enormous stack of metal they bore their heads appeared to peep modestly round the corners of the hods and one imagined a boat full of armed warriors hiding behind their bronze shields sheltering from arrows one man sat like a bonze in his cart behind the wine-press that was full of grapes he was offering them as samples as we passed herr kramp calm suave imperturbable handled a bunch tasted a grape and lingered behind for a few seconds otto said his father complacently is doing business when herr kramp rejoined us 
he had just bought the entire produce of that man's vineyard about nine thousand gallons of must he was as composed nay more so as a stockbroker who has successfully bared some stock on wall street and we all went quietly on to the communal wine-press at Cluserath, where these grapes will be tested and paid for and i should taste for the first time in my life the foaming must of poetry we walked past the landlord's own vineyard to which he gave only a cursory glance for he had visited it the day before we went in still eating grapes through the cobbled streets of villages each bearing some one of the favoured names that one sees on the labels of bottles dotted about on london supper-tables till we came to a damp dark-looking but not unclean building whose stone courtyard was full of carts disgorging their slippery shiny loads in most of these carts a woman stood like a goddess demeaning herself with something like a trident the wine-press gaping for the grapes was perched high on the cart and she was by way of hastening matters for there is no time to lose on one cart the whole family was apparently engaged in possing as the washerwomen say in the north of england pressing bumping down wet masses of green globes that already below bursting with their own weight ride up in the tub like a sea of mottled and yeasty green all those hearty girls and boys had been helping to gather the day was hot they had taken off their coats and their jackets and their wraps of all sorts and had piled them on the cart it was a pell-mell of grapes exquisite ethereal grapes the beginning to look a little worse for the wear and the gross material trappings of poor heated humanity and everyone like herr cramp will have you taste everyone is flourishing a sample bunch in your face and imploring you to try to refuse would be churlish and one has to forget quote, the dyer's hand subdued to what it works in unquote. we all went inside herr cramp was much too busy to speak he was a great man and he was buying more grapes he was buying i understood this particular man's grape juice straight off the cart and he was having the quality tested hodful by hodful as they were brought in and turned out into the communal press placed over a tub there are two wheels in the bottom of this utensil that work into each other toothed and close-fitting whilst the attendant turns the handle at the side with great ferocity the flood of juice gushed out with a rustling weltering sound and one that was highly gratifying to me who stood beside and watched it is delightful to see pressure applied and pressure yield so much though it was not my grape juice but herr cramps one is child enough to like to see anything squeezed and to listen to the handsome noise it makes there is a certain cruel pleasure about it one fancies that the grapes resent the insult feel pain and cry out then the liquor was tested the communal officer had an exceedingly simple and rudimentary testing tube 
and only one, but I dare say it did its work all right. The long funnel of dull glass was taken off the window-sill where it lay, plunged into the must, and examined by the light of a yellow-horn window, the only one in the place, and just a couple of feet square at that. The ingenuous peasant whose care had brought this harvest to perfection stood by full of anxiety while his grape-juice was being put to the proof. His wife had come in with him to see that he got fair play, and she was obviously his master. For each hodful, the superintendent called out the result of the test, the price was mentioned, and a fresh load was thrown in and subjected to the great indignity of pressing. That is what it began to seem to me, for the poor green globes looked so translucent, so innocent, so otherworldly. Herr Cramp bought the lot. He was, of course, far too busy to attend to me and see that I tasted the must, and to tell the truth I was no longer very anxious to taste it. Although Joseph Leopold, who had seen a score of vintages, and who was now in an inner cell, eating grapes with Herr Cramp Senior, as who should say, having a drink, although Joseph Leopold said that must is most delicious, I could hardly believe him. The squeezed mass of grapes as it came out of the small press looked for all the world like the cheap dates that I used to buy in quarter-pound wedges with my own pocket-money on my way home from school. I was consumed for that hunger for eatable odds and ends that is the weakness of flappers. That mess was brown, this mess was green. That was about all the difference. Things do not, as a rule, look appetising after they've been squeezed, and their identity utterly destroyed, and the pearly opalescent spheres that I held in my hand seemed to bear no relation to the squatted-looking mass of ill-digested food rejected by the wine-press. The contents of the first tub were at once thrown into a larger tub or vat, in which the juice was already beginning to ferment, and looked still more unpleasant. Then the mixture of squeezed grapes and half-dried residuum were put into a larger receptacle still, a press with handles that it took at least four men to turn. This, like the tubs that now held the first juice, was connected by a pipe with the cellars below, for these immense final presses had the function of squeezing out the last drop of must. They squeezed from the dull green and drooping skins of the grapes not only the last drop of moisture, but even the very colour, so that what remained looked like nothing in the world but hard cattle cake, for which, indeed, it is not seldom used. I was taken down into the cellar and gazed, without much interest, but with some awe, into the enormous barrels, for the process was now carried on as it were behind closed doors. The must was to remain there to ferment and mature for quite a long period, putting off from its spirit all that was corruptible. The next time I should see it, it would be glowing and dancing into a tall glass on a white damask tablecloth poured out by an indifferent footman, some cold, callous creature incapable of such generous enthusiasm for the liquor that was not destined to pass down his own throat, as inspired 
Herr Kramp Senior. That I should see that must again, or some of it, was literally true. One of those immense barrels was the property of Herr Kramp. Now, Joseph Leopold and I had given Herr Kramp an order for twenty-four dozen, a barrique of this particular vintage. So the possibility, if not the probability, is that some of the liquid that was then beginning its long sleep in that tun will cheer and inspire our own table whenever Joseph Leopold shall decide that our own particular barrels, that are new arrivals in our own particular cellar, having only just outpassed the perils of the swift Rhine and the fell and stormy sea, shall be fit for the tremendous and house-shaking event that is called bottling. We do the bottling. The autumn evening shadows were beginning to settle on the green meadows, the green hills, the green vines, and to infuse into that landscape the forlorn touch of greyness, which warns loiterers to hurry, and over all the fields of this pious country sets the beads clicking at the Angelus. We had to walk through two vine villages on our way to the horse ferry that was opposite Tornish Station. The names of these villages were familiar enough to me. How small and unimportant they seemed! and yet they bore names that reverberate over continents and oceans, and catch the eye in every railway station in Germany. Ben, Kastler, Doktor, Piesporte, Ober, Emela, printed so big in the wine lists, stand for the dear little domestic assemblages of white-faced, one-storied houses, against which lean pigsties and cow-buyers, hung with squirrels and magpies in cages, the goats and geese picking their ways between the rough cobblestones, the grey-green household jugs hanging like tall hats upon the palings. Still bearing our last bunches of grapes, we entered the little station, and there I found that I was not the only grape-fiend. Every other person in the waiting-room of the station reminded me of the Bible pictures that tried to elevate my childish mind. Each one was bearing his grapes of Eshkol in one form of package or another. There were girls, rather undersized, these, and ill-dressed, looking like little London dressmakers' hacks. But instead of cardboard boxes in which creations were packed, there depended from their elbows all sorts of knobbly checked bundles and knotted checked handkerchiefs from which there slipped and fell onto the polished floor the current spheres of translucency of which we had thought all the day. There were widows, they looked like widows, with baskets and cruises, grape-juice was running composedly out of the corners of them. There were unmistakable pairs of lovers holding vine-trains in their disengaged hands. Other Unclassable passengers bore sprays of the holy plant, wreathed not in their hair, but done up in their umbrellas. Little wet, dusty marbles ran about on the dusty floor, and were soon trodden into circles of wet stickiness. A three-cornered bundle made of an apron or a handkerchief is an ineffectual and weary envelope for such an exuberant, polished entity as the grape, full of stored-up spirit and sunlight. Presently, however, 
we all packed into our train with grapes inside and out herr kramp and his father were not with us they had slyly given us the slip at Cluserat, and were staying behind to celebrate the great feast of the year in at least three inns so i have since gathered they would talk it over with every fresh wirt and probably herr kramp would buy more grapes for he is a great weinhändler but this thing is sure for the next fortnight on the mosel no man woman or child will talk except in terms of the grape the talk will be gay and cheerful as the minds that inspire it for this year no south german will even entertain painful thoughts old quarrels will be made up bad debts paid off heirlooms will be bought in again and the back year of mourning forgotten in that year when the vine suffered so terribly the cattle prospered and waxed fat the year after the cruel sun murderer of the horned beasts that wandered spiritlessly about the brown fields where the grass had died and lowed and yearned for a lush pasture and whose lean nervous bodies were eaten by us en maugréant the sun gave the juice of the grape to wash down the indifferent repast the pestilential heat which drove men wild till they murdered their wives and children which maddened strike committees and filled the courts of justice which nearly forced three nations into war one week of rain that year it was patent to the world would have sent the english rioters slouching home and would have brought the tetchy and absurdly protracted negotiations of german and english courts alike to a good-humoured and speedy conclusion the sun that worked all this mischief also provided the antidote and was all the while fostering the peace-dealing grape glory be i cry with old hair cramp end of section twenty five